Section four of Farewell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Farewell by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. Section four. Some thirty stragglers were sitting round a tremendous blaze which they kept up with logs of wood planks wrenched from the floors of the caissons and wheels and panels from carriage bodies these had been doubtless among the last to join the sea of fires huts and human faces that filled the great furrow in the land between studjanka and the fatal river a restless living sea of almost imperceptibly moving figures that sent up a smothered hum of sound blended with frightful shrieks it seemed that hunger and despair had driven these forlorn creatures to take forcible possession of the carriage for the old general and his young wife whom they had found warmly wrapped in pelisses and travelling cloaks were now crouching on the earth beside the fire and one of the carriage doors was broken as soon as the group of stragglers round the fire heard the footfall of the major's horse a frenzied yell of hunger went up from them a horse they cried a horse all the voices went up as one voice back back look out shouted two or three of them levelling their muskets at the animal i will pitch you neck and crop into your fire you blackguards cried philippe springing in front of the mare there are dead horses lying up yonder go and look for them what a rum customer the officer is once twice will you get out of the way returned a giant grenadier you won't all right then just as you please a woman's shriek rang out above the report luckily none of the bullets hit philippe but poor bichette lay in the agony of death three of the men came up and put an end to her with thrusts of the bayonet cannibals leave me the rug and my pistols cried philippe in desperation oh the pistols if you like but as for the rug there is a fellow yonder who has had nothing to wet his whistle these two days and is shivering in his coat of cobwebs and that's our general Philippe looked up and saw a man with worn-out shoes and a dozen rents in his trousers. The only covering for his head was a ragged foraging cap, white with rime. He said no more after that, but snatched up his pistols. Five of the men dragged the mare to the fire and began to cut up the carcass as dexterously as any journeyman butchers in paris the scraps of meat were distributed and flung upon the coals and the whole process was magically swift 
philippe went over to the woman who had given the cry of terror when she recognized his danger and sat down by her side she sat motionless upon a cushion taken from the carriage warming herself at the blaze she said no word and gazed at him without a smile he saw beside her the soldier whom he had left mounting guard over the carriage the poor fellow had been wounded he had been overpowered by numbers and forced to surrender to the stragglers who had set upon him and like a dog who defends his master's dinner till the last moment he had taken his share of the spoil and had made a sort of cloak for himself out of a sheet at that particular moment he was busy toasting a piece of horse-flesh and in his face the major saw a gleeful anticipation of the coming feast the comte de vandieres who seemed to have grown quite childish in the last few days sat on a cushion close to his wife and stared into the fire he was only just beginning to shake off his torpor under the influence of the warmth he had been no more affected by philippe's arrival and danger than by the fight and subsequent pillaging of his travelling carriage at first sucy caught the young countess's hand in his trying to express his affection for her and the pain that it gave him to see her reduced like this to the last extremity of misery but he said nothing as he sat by her side on the thawing heap of snow he gave himself up to the pleasure of the sensation of warmth forgetful of danger forgetful of all things else in the world in spite of himself his face expanded with an almost fatuous expression of satisfaction and he waited impatiently till the scrap of horse-flesh that had fallen to his soldier's share should be cooked the smell of charred flesh stimulated his hunger hunger clamoured within and silenced his heart his courage and his love he coolly looked round on the results of the spoliation of his carriage not a man seated round the fire but had shared the booty the rugs cushions pelisses dresses articles of clothing that belonged to the count and countess or to himself philippe turned to see if anything worth taking was left in the berline he saw by the light of the flames gold and diamonds and silver lying scattered about no one had cared to appropriate the least particle there was something hideous in the silence among those human creatures round the fire none of them spoke none of them stirred save to do such things as each considered necessary for his own comfort it was a grotesque misery the men's faces were wrapped and disfigured with the cold and plastered over with a layer of mud 
you could see the thickness of the mask by the channel traced down their cheeks by the tears that ran from their eyes and their long slovenly kept beards added to the hideousness of their appearance some were wrapped round in women's shawls others in horse-cloths dirty blankets rags stiffened with melting hoar-frost here and there a man wore a boot on one foot and a shoe on the other in fact there was not one of them but wore some ludicrously odd costume but the men themselves with such matter for jest about them were gloomy and taciturn the silence was unbroken save by the crackling of the wood the roaring of the flames the far-off hum of the camp and the sound of sabres hacking at the carcass of the mare some of the hungriest of the men were still cutting tidbits for themselves a few miserable creatures more weary than the others slept outright and if they happened to roll into the fire no one pulled them back with cut-and-dried logic their fellows argued that if they were not dead a scorching ought to be sufficient warning to quit and seek out more comfortable quarters if the poor wretch woke to find himself on fire he was burned to death and nobody pitied him here and there the men exchanged glances as if to excuse their indifference by the carelessness of the rest the thing happened twice under the countess's eyes and she uttered no sound when all the scraps of horseflesh had been broiled upon the coals they were devoured with a ravenous greediness that would have been disgusting in wild beasts and now we have seen thirty infantrymen on one horse for the first time in our lives cried the grenadier who had shot the mare the one solitary joke that sustained the frenchman's reputation for wit before long the poor fellows huddled themselves up in their clothes and lay down on planks of timber on anything but the bare snow and slept heedless of the morrow major de sucy having warmed himself and satisfied his hunger fought in vain against the drowsiness that weighed upon his eyes during this brief struggle he gazed at the sleeping girl who had turned her face to the fire so that he could see her closed eyelids and part of her forehead she was wrapped round in a furred pelisse and a coarse horseman's cloak her head lay on a blood-stained cushion a tall astrakhan cap tied over her head by a handkerchief knotted under the chin protected her face as much as possible from the cold and she had tucked up her feet in the cloak as she lay curled up in this fashion she bore no likeness to any creature was this the lowest of camp followers was this the charming woman the pride of her lover's heart 
the queen of many a parisian ballroom alas even for the eyes of this most devoted friend there was no discernible trace of womanhood in that bundle of rags and linen and the cold was mightier than the love in a woman's heart then for the major the husband and wife came to be like two distant dots seen through the thick veil that the most irresistible kind of slumber spread over his eyes it all seemed to be part of a dream the leaping flames the recumbent figures the awful cold that lay in wait for them three paces away from the warmth of the fire that glowed for a little while one thought that could not be stifled haunted philippe if i go to sleep we shall all die i will not sleep he said to himself he slept after an hour's slumber monsieur de sucy was awakened by a hideous uproar and the sound of an explosion the remembrance of his duty of the danger of his beloved rushed upon his mind with a sudden shock he uttered a cry like the growl of a wild beast he and his servant stood upright above the rest they saw a sea of fire in the darkness and against it moving masses of human figures flames were devouring the huts and tents despairing shrieks and yelling cries reached their ears they saw thousands upon thousands of wild and desperate faces and through this inferno a column of soldiers was cutting its way to the bridge between the two hedges of dead bodies our rear guard is in full retreat cried the major there is no hope left i have spared your travelling carriage philippe said a friendly voice Sucy turned and saw the young aide-de-camp by the light of the flames oh it is all over with us he answered they have eaten my horse and how am i to make this sleepy general and his wife stir a step take a brand philippe and threaten them threaten the countess good-bye cried the aide-de-camp i have only just time to get across that unlucky river and go i must there is my mother in france what a night this herd of wretches would rather lie here in the snow and most of them would sooner be burned alive than get up it is four o'clock philippe in two hours the russians will begin to move and you will see the beresina covered with corpses a second time i can tell you you haven't a horse and you cannot carry the countess so come along with me he went on taking his friend by the arm my dear fellow how am i to leave stephanie 
Major de Sucy grasped the countess, set her on her feet, and shook her roughly. He was in despair. He compelled her to wake, and she stared at him with dull, fixed eyes. Stephanie, we must go, or we shall die here. For all answer, the countess tried to sink down again and sleep on the earth. The aide-de-camp snatched a brand from the fire and shook it in her face. "'We must save her in spite of herself,' cried Philippe, and he carried her in his arms to the carriage. He came back to entreat his friend to help him, and the two young men took the old general and put him beside his wife, without knowing whether he were alive or dead. The major rolled the men over as they crouched on the earth, took away the plundered clothing, and heaped it upon the husband and wife. Then he flung some of the broiled fragments of horse-flesh into a corner of the carriage. "'Now what do you mean to do?' asked the aide-de-camp. "'Drag them along,' answered Sucy. "'You are mad!' "'You are right,' exclaimed Philippe, folding his arms on his breast. Suddenly a desperate plan occurred to him. "'Look you here,' he said, grasping his sentinel by the unwounded arm. "'I leave her in your care for one hour. Bear in mind that you must die sooner than let anyone, no matter whom, come near the carriage.' The major seized a handful of the lady's diamonds, drew his sabre, and violently battered those who seemed to him to be the bravest among the sleepers. By this means he succeeded in rousing the gigantic grenadier, and a couple of men whose rank and regiment were undiscoverable. "'It is all up with us!' he cried. "'Of course it is,' returned the grenadier. "'But that is all one to me.' "'Very well, then, if die you must. Isn't it better to sell your life for a pretty woman, and stand a chance of going back to France again?' "'I would rather go to sleep,' said one of the men, dropping down into the snow. "'And if you worry me again, Major, I shall stick my toasting-iron into your body.' "'What is it all about, sir?' asked the grenadier. Oh, "'The man's drunk. He is a Parisian, and likes to lie in the lap of luxury.' "'You shall have these, good fellow,' said the Major, holding out a riviere of diamonds. "'If you will follow me and fight like a madman.' the russians are not ten minutes away they have horses we will march up to the nearest battery and carry off two stout ones how about the sentinels major one of us three he began then he turned from the soldier and looked at the aide-de-camp you are coming aren't you hippolyte hippolyte nodded assent one of us the major went on will look after the sentry besides perhaps those blessed russians are also fast asleep all right major you are a good sort but will you take me in your carriage 
asked the grenadier yes if you don't leave your bones up yonder if i come to grief promise me you two that you will do everything in your power to save the countess all right said the grenadier end of section four recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey